Hi, this is Harry Shearer, and you are listening to Four Finger Discount. Four Finger Discount, dude. Welcome to Four Finger Discount, proudly brought to you by the Simpsons Quotes and Nobody Gets Anymore Facebook page and NoHomers.net. I am Dando. I am Mitch and I am standing up for this one. I'm going to turn you down because you're so excited you're yelling. I'm sorry. This <laughs> has been a big day. This is a momentous occasion. Four Finger Discount. Oh, now you've turned me down too far. Yes, there, there we go. go. Four Finger Discount. You and I, really. Yes. Mitch and Brendan have just had a conversation with Harry Shearer, yes. the one and only. It was such an out-of-body experience, wasn't it? It was. There was a moment there where... It was back to us doing one of our first ever interviews, like when Maggie Roswell was singing at us in the voice of Sherry Bobbins yeah. at Comic-Con. Where We've got to keep talking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I was just sitting there going, huh, I'm talking to Harry Shearer. Yeah. And then I realized it had been silent for two seconds. I went, oh, hang on. Uh, it's my job. Because I pointed to Mitch on the open and I'll ask this question next. And he's sort of just like smiling and looking into, the, into, the, into nothing. And I was like, well, I'll ask the question. I thought then. you were saying you were going to ask it. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, yeah, so obviously, do we, we need to promote why Harry's in Australia. We do. This is yeah. how we got the interview. Yes. Because he's so in Australia. Harry is touring Australia. It's the first time he's been here for about six or seven years. Yeah, about 2007-ish, I think. Down here with his wife, Judith Owen. Yes. Uh, performing cabaret shows. Dando, you've got the dates there. Yeah, the cabaret shows are called This Infernal Racket. They're playing at the Queensland Cabaret Festival on Sunday, June 12th. For details, go to brisbanepowerhouse.org. Thursday, June 16th and Friday, June 17th at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival, adelaidecabaretfestival.com.au. And Judith Owen has her new album out now. It's called Somebody's Child, which you can get from all the best music stores, I'm assuming. I presume so. iTunes and whatnot. I'm sure it's on Spotify. Yes. Everything's on Spotify. I love <sighs> it. How great was that interview, though? It was amazing. Uh, uh, There's so, many, so much stuff we didn't get to ask because we only had 20 minutes. So, we, yeah. we tried to fit in as much as we could possibly could. And we also tried to tried as hard as we could to talk about things that aren't in other interviews. Yeah. So Harry has done a lot in the past and there's a lot of hour to hour interviews where he's cu- uncovered things. So we tried to kind of comb through the, the gaps for what he hasn't spoken about in the past. But your most excited part was the fact that you made him laugh. I made him laugh once or twice. It was pretty awesome. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as it finished, Mitch just goes, I made Harry Shearer laugh. <laughs> That's all that mattered. <laughs> it was all that mattered. Um, for all things Harry, you can obviously go to harryshearer.com um, and Harry has his own show, Less Show. Yeah. Uh, my damn channel as well. My damn YouTube. channel on YouTube, which uh, my damn channel, you'll be able to find some of the things that we talk about here, uh, in particular his work with the Nixon tapes, which is fantastic to look at. Le Show um, is on Harry's website. You can find all of the recordings for the Le Show. Um, people that now. don't know, he's been doing it for years, a weekly yeah. satirical uh, radio show. Um, now, just podcast, look, the same way you listen to our shows, just podcast it. Yeah, exactly right. And, and it's so it's so great to listen to. Anyway, that's enough of us. Yes. Let's get into Harry, and I hope you guys enjoy. This is huge for us. Thank you to all of the listeners, because um, really, without you guys, this wouldn't be possible. And thank you to Harry. Thank you to Harry, of course. Um, but and thank Judith you to everyone. for allowing us to have 20 minutes of his time. Yeah. So, um, we've, uh, we asked for listener questions. I think we've covered off the majority of the things that people were writing in about throughout. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoy. <laughs> Welcome to Four Finger Discount. Well, Dando, today's guest is officially the most famous person that we've had on the show, and sure. I'm officially the most excited that I've been on uh, in all of our time of doing this on the show. When we started a year ago, we set ourselves a goal and said, what could we do? Can we get Harry Shearer on? And we both said to ourselves, no. Nope. But today we prove ourselves <laughs> wrong by welcoming Harry Shearer to Four Finger Discount. How are you, Harry? I'm fine. How are you? I'm always good, man. Now, as we were saying, this is obviously a Simpsons podcast, so we're going to mention The Simpsons for most of the interview, but... Before then, you're currently in Australia, obviously performing this Infernal Racket with your wife, Judith, plus she's promoting her new album as well. How's your time in Australia been so far? Uh, well, 
so far uh, we've been rehearsing. Uh, yeah. Judith Owen is uh, doing a uh, a showcase performance of her new album, uh, Somebody's Child, Top to Tail, tonight as we speak, and uh, I'm uh, I'm privileged to be able to play uh, a bass on one of the songs uh, that she's performing. The rest of the songs are are played uh, by the rest of the band, including the legendary Leland Sklar on bass. But then uh, this Infernal Racket is a show that Judith and I cobbled together for the uh, uh, Adelaide and Brisbane Cabaret Festival. Yeah. And uh, she does some of her songs. I do some of my satirical songs. And uh, there's a vastly amusing banter interweaving the songs. And uh, we're really looking forward to doing that show. We did a... a, a the last time we worked together that way was we did a sh- we made a show for the uh, Edinburgh Festival, the Fringe, uh, mm-hmm. about eight years ago, and did it for a month up there. We do work together a lot. She's been a, a singer in Spinal Tap, a, a frustrated backup singer uh, in Spinal <laughs> Tap, and then she actually worked in an episode of The Simpsons. They they animated her singing one of her songs because one of the producers was a big fan of hers, and uh, uh, she's performed in some of my music videos so we we do enjoy working together a lot it's uh, since we're both working entertainers it's one way we make sure we see each other yeah how do you go in australia harry i think it's been a few years since you're out here do you find yourself being recognized in the street being in australia obviously it's a smaller talent pool here so someone like yourself might shine a little bit brighter well you know to tell you the truth i i've been driven around uh this trip uh you know from from interview to interview so i haven't had a <laughs> A lot of opportunities to just go wandering, uh, so I, I don't really know how it's how it's gone this time around. The last time I was here was about six years ago, and I was uh, basically sequestered in the in the uh, uh, in the Crown uh, precinct for most of the time I was here. Not that I'm a gambler, but I was doing a, 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 an appearance at one of their conferences there. So I don't know. Um, I, I it, you know the funny thing is wherever I am I I, I tend to get recognized for a lot of different things because I I've done a lot of different things mm. in in New Orleans where we live when we're not in London I tend to get recognized more than anything else oddly enough for my radio show which is on the air there as well as all over the uh, the country but it's weird to get recognized for a radio show because they're not looking at you yeah of course does, somehow they know any diehard the right stuff fans coming up to you from time to time <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is like crazy the the number of different things that I get recognized for, uh, which is great. You know, I desisted from doing a standard sitcom where I would be one character on camera uh, for the length of the series because I I really believe that if you if you give the audience different things, they'll recognize you for different things and they'll come up to you with different things to say as opposed to the, if you're if you're just doing this one thing over and over and over and over again the audience will respond to that one thing and you'll get bored with that. And, uh, you know, I, I, this way it sort of maintains the surprise and the interest of seeing what people have to say. Definitely. Well, we're going to throw all of that out now and just talk about The Simpsons for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> no, that. We edit that out of the podcast. <laughs> uh, I guess the first question that I wanted to ask no one goes into anything in show business thinking that you're going to be doing a job for the next 30 years, which you're pretty well coming up on. At what point in the show did you think that that might have been a possibility? Or at what point did it become real that this thing was as successful as it was? Well, I'm, it's, a, it's a long time ago. But <laughs> I think that uh, somewhere in the middle of the first season, it seemed uh, apparent. That quick? This was a fledgling network when we started, the Fox Network. 
It was on tiny little UHF stations, as they were called, because they were at the upper band of the of the analog spectrum yeah. for television. And you needed special antennas to receive it. And I mean, it was really not mainstream television at all compared to ABC, CBS, and NBC. And yet we were having this really uh, quite quite rapid uh, spike of popularity. And I think about midway through the first season it became obvious we were going to be around for a little while at least. And then, you know, because of our popularity, the network uh, got more and more popular to the point where I think three or four years into our run, Rupert, who owned the Fox Network, <laughs> um, made a really huge money bid for American football and got it away from CBS. And when he did that, a lot of the former CBS stations switched to Fox because they wanted to keep football. And so suddenly we found ourselves from being on Channel 54 to being on Channel 2, which was much more accessible on most people's TV dials in those days. And at that point, we knew we were pretty much set for quite a run. Yeah. Well, I'm sure by now, all the characters, it's all muscle memory to you. But has there ever been a, a day that you, you simply just lost a voice or one just come out wrong during a live read? No. I mean, the only thing that really ever happened in that way was... We started recording season two before season one had gone to air. It's a, an eight-month process, as I'm sure you know, mm. to, from the time we record to the time that the episode is ready to broadcast. And so I had remembered most of uh, the characters and how they sounded, but uh, I had slipped a little in my memory of how Burns sounded. So he sounded a little different from season two onward. And I think Dan had the same... Uh, Dan Castellaneta may have had the same issue with Homer. Uh, certainly, Homer does sound a little different from season two onward. I think he was he was more knowingly or, or intentionally doing a take on or a, a uh, homage to uh, a, a, an older American comedy performer, uh, Eddie Mayhoff, and uh, in season one and by season two, he had you know Homer had found his own voice. But aside from that, no, I, they're they're sort of stuck in there. They don't they don't they don't waver and they don't they don't, <laughs> yeah. desert, they don't desert me. Well, <laughs> well, it's very impressive because we've we've done a tally, or other people uh, on the internet have done a tally. I'm not sure if you're aware that the current standing is 194 characters over the run, and that's including all the little side or most of the side um, characters. I have done. not heard that number before, and I'm bowled over. <laughs> That's great. You're going to have to drink I'm, I'm to celebrate use, 200. I'm going to use that in the next negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and what we're impressed about, and a lot of listeners weren't aware of the fact that when you're doing multiple characters in one scene, you just read those straight through. Yes. Outside yeah. of Burns and Smithers, which is the obvious two, who are your favorite characters that you get to bounce off of each other within your own head? Oh, God. I mean, Burns and Smithers are the ones that I, I've done the most uh, scenes where both of them are present. The others would have been very exceptional and not that common because uh, they don't really live in the, you know, uh, it's, it's rare that you'd Different find environments. Principal Skinner's interacting with Kent Brockman, let's say, or, or uh, Dr. Hibbert. I guess the other two that really do uh, encounter each other from time to time are uh, Reverend Lovejoy and Ned Flanders yeah. because they do meet in church on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, of course. So those, those would be the two. And, you know, I, I have to say, I realized how long we'd been on the air around season 15 
because at the beginning, uh, when the show rocketed to popularity, the first wave of publicity that accompanied that was a lot of outrage from Christian conservatives in the United States upset that BART was a bad role model for American children. And my question at the time was, what comedy show has good role models? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if they're funny, they're supposed to be silly or stupid in some way. But by season 15, the, the worm had turned to the point where I was getting interviewed by Christian magazines and, and on the cover of Christian magazines, because I did, I, I do Flanders and Lovejoy, and they realized this was the only show on American television that had two, not one, two avowedly Christian characters and people who go to church every week. And so suddenly from having denounced the show, they were now embracing it. So, <laughs> um, you know, it, it was, it took the blind man a long time to discover the whole element. <laughs> well, who would you say has been one of your favorite guests to act alongside of? Well, we don't normally see the guests, okay. but they come in at another time. Yeah. So the one that really stands out to me was uh, Michael Jackson. We went up to his manager's estate in Beverly Hills to do the read-through, which is very unusual. Mm. And then he came into Fox to do the actual uh, recording. And there was a, a sec- in those days, there was a second read-through right before we did the recording. And so we're sitting around the table and Michael Jackson is there doing his his uh, spoken words. And uh, when we get to the point, he plays a, if, for those who haven't seen the episode, he plays a 400-pound white metal yeah. patient mm-hmm. who thinks he's Michael Jackson. And at one point, he breaks into song. And at that point, Michael sits back, and this white guy on the other side of the table starts singing. <laughs> and singing in a very Michael Jackson-like voice. And I... You know, nothing. Nobody has explained any of this, and I turn to Yardley Smith and I say, "I think we paid enough for the talking Michael Jackson, but not enough for the singing." <laughs> they should have brought that guy along on the history tour, just yeah, in case okay. Michael ever needed a break. <laughs> I had a question off The Simpsons for a moment, but involving The Simpsons. 1998 was about the time that I realised that Bart was voiced by a uh, a white. Um, middle-aged woman and it was when I was going to watch the film Godzilla uh, which of course Nancy is in Hank is in and you are in now I couldn't help but get the feeling that that happened because you guys got lost coming back from lunch one day and walked into the wrong office like is is it (laughs) just a coincidence how did that come about I think um, I think the producer of the film was a fan of the show and uh thought it was a, 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 a cute idea to have, you know, people from The Simpsons in the in the film I, and, and convinced the director that that was a, a good idea. I think that's how that went. Okay. Uh, I, I don't eat lunch, so I know it was <laughs> getting lost on the way back from lunch. Well, you wouldn't have time for lunch with the, <laughs> the amount of presses yeah. that you've been doing since you landed in Australia alone. <laughs> exactly. Now, Joe Montagna told us that he uh, he based the voice of Fat Tony off of one of his uncles. Have, have you ever slipped in a relative to the show in one of your voices? No, I have a very, uh, I grew up in a very, very small family. I just had a mom and dad uh, and, and one uncle and a cousin. And I, I have done the voice of my cousin. Uh, actually, I, when I did a play in London, I was playing a, a, an American immigrant from Austria uh, who moved to Brooklyn, 
and it's the only time that I sort of delved into family and did uh, my first attempt to do the character was to sort of base how he talked on uh, my cousin, but we then decided to go another way. Yeah. But uh, no, I I've, didn't base the characters on anybody I knew except for uh, at the end of the original season, you know, they kept introducing new characters, of course, and I started running out of just made-up voices. And so the last two that were added, I think, were Principal Skinner and, and Lovejoy for me. Mm. And so I didn't have a, a school principal in mind, but there was a guy who was on American television who uh, was on the news, but he didn't really do news. He, they, they sent him out to sort of wander around the country and do these feature stories on uh, interesting people, so-called interesting people around the country. <laughs> and we only learned in later years that the reason he wandered around the country is because he had a a, uh, a mistress hidden at a cabin in Montana, <laughs> and he wanted to be, you know, closer to her and away, <laughs> farther away from the wife. But he, he talked like this. He just had this way of... There's a man in Collins Corner, Kentucky, who can, you know, and he just would tell these stories about these interesting personalities. And so I just did that kind of voice, but reduced him in, in pitch a little bit and sped him up in speed, and that became Principal Skinner. And then for Lovejoy, there had been a, uh, an evangelist on American television named Ernest Angley who would heal people. Mm. And I, I did a, a, a piss take of him on, on a television show I, I once did. And so I had his voice in my head, and uh, I just slowed him down a little bit, and he became Lovejoy. <laughs> <laughs> one one other real person that you've done uh, relatively recently was Richard Nixon in uh, Richard Nixon's The One, uh, which I was yeah. watching. With a voice like that, how hard is it to kind of find that fine line between doing real characterization and not stretching it over into comedy? <laughs> Well, I, to me, you know, I, I don't try to stretch it. I, I think that the funniest stuff going on is, is just observing real people. So I, I, my, you know, I don't try to make any of these characters that exaggerated. And I, and I even sort of cavil when uh, they're written to do things that I don't think they would actually do if, yeah. they, if they existed. So my, my touchstone is always to try to make it as real as possible. And in the case of Nixon, I mean, we were, all of the cast were listening to the tapes as we were rehearsing the scenes of, in that series, which is, by the way, on YouTube for free for anybody to watch. On oh, yeah. your damn channel. <laughs> um, and so we were all trying to, you know, I mean, never before, and I would bet never again are we going to have that kind of, ear into the real goings-on at the seat of high power in international politics. And so, given that gift, why would you not pay it the respect it deserves and make it as real as possible, get as close to the real reality of it as possible? So we all just sort of threw ourselves into trying to capture every nuance of it and, and get it right, because, you know... This is nothing. Nothing. No need to make anything up. It was. It was crazy as it came out of their mouths. You yeah, know? And, and and credit to you for making that decision. It it, it absolutely shines for it. It was so fascinating oh, to thank watch. You. Now we had a, a question from one of our listeners named Nate. He was listeners. Yes, I know. Like three, oh, wow. three of them. We've got I similar questions. Just us talking. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he wants to know which Simpsons character would you like to meet in real life and why? Uh, probably. Uh, 
Which Simpsons character of all or, or, or mine? Of of any. Of any. Well, huh. I guess I would uh, I would think McBain. Okay. You know, because I'd like to know where he gets his uh, his uh, nutritional substances from. Yeah. <laughs> where, where do you get your supplements? Would be my first question. The Russian swim team, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's uh, that's as good an answer as any. He's also a good guy to have in your corner. Like every comedian needs a good strong guy. Well, we all need security, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Harry. Uh, I think I'm getting the tap on my shoulder to say that that 20 minutes has gone far too quickly. But <laughs> oh wow! It is time for us to wrap it up and let you get on to your next interview, I assume, or get into another car and try to stay dry. You've um, you've come to Australia at a time that we're being washed away into the ocean at the moment. I know, I know. Well, uh, you know, build build more groins. <laughs> but thank you so much for your time. I, I really can't overstate enough how much of a thrill it is. But if we could ask you one final question, uh, it's a question I've been dying to ask you since I was a little boy. Harry, what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is... Shh.